The 2018 Australian Cricket Tour of South Africa proved to be one of the most infamous in Aussie Test history. This is the story of foul-mouthed sledging, a player bust-up, and a professional cricketer hiding sandpaper in his boxes. Welcome to The Luke Alfred Show. I have 30 years of experience on the front lines of sports journalism, covering some of the biggest games in cricket, rugby, the FIFA World Cup, and even the Olympic Games. Come and join me as we learn about some of the greatest sports stories you've never heard. I'm Luke Alfred, and welcome to the show. The following is an extract I wrote from my book, Vuvuzela Dawn. The Proteus come from behind to finally beat Australia at home in a bitter test series, March 2018. Shortly before the start of the 2017 Indian Premier League season, a group of rising Pune Supergiants players began chatting. They were joined by their coaches and the atmosphere was convivial and relaxed. Here was an elite guild of skilled craftsmen talking about the game they loved and their place in it. Soon the conversation wound around to that hardy perennial, sledging. At some point it was gently suggested that the Australians, with their incessantly hectoring, badgering style, were running counter to the general trend. Look at the recently completed New Zealand versus South Africa series, somebody ventured. It was good hard cricket without too much lip or personalised filth. Quote, We were saying that you, the Australians, don't have the pulse of where the game is at, remembers the supergiant South African bowling coach Eric Simons. That was the gist. A 2016 recruit to the Pune supergiants, the Australian captain, Steve Smith, was part of the discussion that day. Simons doesn't remember how Smith dealt with the analysis, but he does remember the conversation. In light of what happened in the first test at Kingsmead just over a year later, when the Aussies pecked at the South Africans like a kookaburra on a scribbly gum, it has come to function as a corner in a broader canvas. Smith soon formed positive associations with Pune, a city south of Mumbai in the Indian province of Maharashtra. After his debut IPL season for them in 2016, he was back in the city as captain of Australia for the first test against India in February the following year. On a pitch where the Indian spinner, Ravindra Jadeja, was spinning the ball square as a Rubik's Cube, he ground out a priceless second innings 109, one of the very best of his 22 test centuries up until that point. It helped to win the Aussies the test by a large margin and was so defining that the cricket magazine Wisden subsequently voted it the best in tests for the year. In the second test in Bangalore, Smith was hit on the pad by a delivery from Umesh Yadav that didn't bounce. He conferred briefly with his partner before gesturing to the Australian dressing room, asking them, they were watching television in it, with his eyes and a slight raise of the chin, if he should seek a referral. Smith's actions were considered a violation of cricket's thick and rather musty book of etiquette. Virat Kohli, the Indian captain, implied that it was tantamount to cheating. The incident was magnified way beyond its significance, then died down as a fascinating series gathered traction, India winning Test 2, the visitors failing to chase down 
an apparently straightforward fourth-innings target. Smith admitted afterwards to having suffered from, quote, a brain fade. Back in Australia under a year later, Smith let slip in a press conference during the Ashes test in Adelaide that he sometimes struggled to sleep. He needed to take sleeping pills, he said. It was a revealing rather than an earth-shattering snapshot of Smith's mental state, a state capable of attracting gobsmacked admiration most of the time, mirth for the remainder. The Australian skipper also let it be known, for example, that he couldn't abide seeing his shoelaces, sometimes going so far as to tape them up. Quote, I just like seeing my shoes and everything clean, Smith admitted. My pad just sits over the top of my shoes, just no shoelaces. I don't know why, but it just plays around in my mind. I'm a bit of a head case. Some might have assumed another candidate for the role of chief Aussie head case, Smith's vice-captain, David Warner. A Sydney sider, Warner took a winding road to the top. As a boy, he lived on a housing commission estate, packed shelves until late at night at Woolies, and only owned one bat, an SS Jumbo, which he reserved for cricket on Saturdays. He wore his past with all the clumsy subterfuge of a bicep tattoo. In the first test against South Africa in Durban in early 2018, Warner had a great deal to say, starting with Aidan Markram, who he delighted in reminding that not only had Markram run out A.B. de Villiers, South Africa's best batsman for naught, but also that he hadn't ironed his shirt. De Villiers had previously top-scored with a not-out 71 in the Proteas' first innings and, with him gone at 39 for 3 in the second, South Africa's chances of passing an improbable fourth-innings victory target receded. To add insult to injury, after receiving Warner's throw, Nathan Lyon dropped a ball on a prone de Villiers as he dived for his crease. It was a snide, humiliating gesture. The series was coming to the boil. An hour or two later that fourth day, it was bubbling. Sick and tired of listening to such Warner gems as, quote, You bush pig, how could your mother have given birth to you? Quinton de Kock retaliated as the teams were coming off for tea, reminding Warner of a brief sexual encounter his wife had allegedly had with the New Zealand rugby player Sonny Bill Williams. This provoked outrage from the Australians, who argued that de Kock's comments were beyond the pale. As the players climbed the stairs to the Kingsmead dressing room, CCTV captured the final act. Taken from above, the images show Warner being held back by colleagues as he mouths off it to Cock, who is coming up the stairs behind him. A memory stick of the footage was given to the management of both teams, as well as the match referee, and, before long, it had found its way into the public realm doubtlessly helped along by the South Africans. Latent animosities oozed to the surface. The series was by now chomping through the undergrowth with designs on the nearby bushes and trees. Despite a six-wicket partnership of 147 between Markram, 143, and de Kock, 83, South Africa lost the first test by 118 runs. In the process, they discovered something hitherto absent their pride. 
The younger players, Markram, De Kock and Tiernus de Bruyne, who scored an important fourth innings 36, reacted first, with the older players following. On the fifth morning, de Villiers tweeted, quote, This series will be one to remember. Carefully non-committal, he was nonetheless galled. Quote, Our ultimate thing is fear of failure. It's always been part of our cricket culture, reflects Simons. Dealing with expectation has always been difficult for us. It was almost as if at Kingsmead the worst had happened, so it was a situation which freed us up to play. Putting bush pigs and sunny bull taunts behind them, again it was the younger players who led the way in the second test at St George's. Batting first, Australia lost Cameron Bancroft, 38, to Vernon Philander with a total on 98, but could only crawl their way to 243 all-out after that. Bowling with menace and spite, Kajisa Rabada scythed through the Aussies' middle and lower order, taking five of the last seven Australian wickets to fall. Quote, KG loves the big occasion, says Lions teammate Russi van der Dissen, which is not surprising because Rabada did drama for Matric at St. Stithian's College in northern Johannesburg and seems galvanised by situations of growing theatre on cricket's stage. Quote, he excites me, says Simons. There's almost a kink in his action. He looks as though he bowls off the wrong foot, which he doesn't. But my impression from watching the Australian batsmen struggle to line him up was that there was something there which they just weren't dealing with. After the departure of Markram and night watchman Rabada in the Proteus' first innings, Dean Elgar and Hashim Amla crept through the second afternoon. Each of the Australian pacemen seemed to be able to conjure reverse swing from an ageing ball, something the Aussie journalist and broadcaster Jeff Lemon thought strange. Quote, It's a pretty short string of dots to be joined, isn't it? Asked Lemon rhetorically. I can't prove anything, obviously, but I think Warner almost certainly tampered with the ball at St George's. That said, Lemon has sympathy for Warner. Lemon recalls the avuncular role Warner played when he and Bancroft were nibbling away at the victory target in the first Ashes test at Brisbane in 2017-18, Warner taking singles early in the over so that Bancroft, who was on debut, could have the strike. Lemon says Warner is naturally intelligent but senses that he doesn't best know how to handle his smarts. Quote, It's easy to demonise him, says Lemon. He's a pretty complicated human being. Neither Warner nor Smith knew what to do at Port Elizabeth once de Villiers came in and played in innings of such sublimity that some of what he pulled off could scarcely be believed. He talks about playing in an imaginary box, a confined space out of which he doesn't stray. The box is an attempt to deconstruct the game, reducing batting, particularly against fast bowling to a dance of fluent hands. Foot movement becomes more a matter of forward thrust than a step per se, a press towards or away from the ball as the delivery demands. With minimal footwork, he ramped Pat Cummins over the slips for four, an innately dangerous shot more suited to a domestic T20 match. People just shook their heads. Quote, I was constantly reminding myself through the 90s that it's not about yourself, it's about contributing as many runs as possible to the team, de Villiers said of his 126 not out 
which gave the Proteas a 149-run lead. That made me feel a little bit better. Forgive me while I interrupt a sports story to tell you about the Luke Alfred Show Patreon. As you may know, being a writer is not the most lucrative career choice. Please consider making a small donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash the Luke Alfred Show. But for now, let's get back to the story. The first wicket to fall in the Australian second innings was Warner's. He was bowled by Rabada a fiendish delivery that pitched full on middle and leg, yet managed to hit the top of off. Rabada had brushed against Smith after getting him out in the first innings and bowled in the second with the threat of a ban hanging over his head. That, if anything, served to inspire him as he grew larger and more tormenting. He romped through the visitors' batting to take six wickets and square the series. His match analysis was 11 for 150. After South Africa's six-wicket victory, considerations moved towards Rabada's sanction for the Smith indiscretion in the first innings at St. George's. Two things here are worth mentioning. The first is the way in which the incident was framed. The accusation, the media and the public were told, was that of, quote, a shoulder charge. Rabada was undoubtedly fired up after the dismissal and undoubtedly brushed Smith's shoulder. Did Smith stumble or lose his balance? Did Rabada lower his shoulder intentionally with a view to causing Smith harm? The answer to both questions is no. The word charge, with its martial atavistic air, doesn't really help matters either. Not for the first time in the series, language itself was inflammatory. As in his appeal to the dressing room when he was caught on the crease to a Yadav scuttler in Pune, so Smith looked towards coach Darren Lehman after Rabada had bumped him. Quote, did you see that? Smith asked with hurt eyes. Did you see what he just did to me? Smith's appeal to authority was revealing. He seemed to be asking for guidance and support. Here was a man who was flailing, who looked as though he had lost control of himself because he had lost control of his dressing room. Lehman is of the view that Smith struggled with Warner and that in many ways, quote, Warner was the spiritual leader of the team. Such a view was borne out in Cape Town, where a hitherto spicy series, now tied at 1-1, moved through the looking glass into an entirely different realm. Rabada, represented by legal heavy hitter Dalian Pofu, was exonerated after a six-hour teleconference as the stage was set for what South African skipper Faf Duplessis said later had become, quote, a soap opera. On the third afternoon, with South Africa batting in their second innings, as they extended their 56-run first innings lead, Bancroft was caught rubbing the ball with a foreign object by one of Supersport's 18 ground cameras. Moments later, after an intervention by the Australian 12th man, he appeared to slip something out of his pocket into his briefs. These images were relayed on the big screen, and Bancroft was confronted by umpires Richard Illingworth and Nigel Long. They didn't change the ball, and appeared to be satisfied with his answers to their queries, at least for the time being. The post-play press conference was late. When it did finally start, with Smith and Bancroft present, it was opened with a jaffer from the Aussie journalist Peter Laylaw. Quote, 
Steve, Cameron, would you like to talk us through what we saw there? He asked. Quote, on myself, replied Bancroft, I saw an opportunity to potentially use some tape to get some granules from the rough patches on the wicket and try to, I guess, change the ball condition. The pawpaw didn't so much hit as buckle the fan. It emerged on day four that the ball tampering plan to use sandpaper to scuff the ball and encourage early reverse swing had been hatched by senior players in the dressing room at lunchtime on the third day. Smith lost the captaincy and Warner the vice-captaincy, both banned by the ICC for one test. This begs the question as to whether the entire Aussie side was in on the sandpaper shenanigans. In Australia, the shame and anger were widespread. Even the Aussie Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull, felt compelled to comment. The tour ploughed headlong into the ground. As an afterthought, there was some cricket. Mornay Morkel, who had missed the second test, took five second innings Australian wickets as they were bowled out for 107, losing the test by 322 runs, so the Proteas went 2-1 up in the series after consecutive wins in Port Elizabeth and Cape Town. There was something of the public flogging to all of this, particularly when Smith, who, subsequent to his ICC banning, was banned for a year by the Australian Cricket Board, broke down in tears at Sydney Airport as he, Warner and Bancroft were sent home. Here was an inarticulate young man, full of everyday frailties, trying to make sense of where it had all gone wrong. Watching Smith's collapse was not pleasant. In the aftermath of the soap opera test, it was left to Lemon to gently remind us that the South Africans had in all probability engaged in ball tampering activity fairly recently themselves. He mentioned names, none of whom, revealingly, had been caught on camera or fed into the mince of public opinion in quite the way that Bancroft had been. With three replacements having been flown out for Smith, for Warner and for Bancroft, who returned home after the third test, Australian preparations were less than optimal for the fourth. In a lopsided game at the Wanderers, South Africa prevailed thanks to Markram's second century of the series and six second-innings wickets to Vernon Philander. It was the first time since 1969-70 that South Africa had prevailed in a test series at home to Australia. That series, 48 years ago, was widely photographed in black and white, the crowning image showing a smiling Ali Bacha being held shoulder-high at the self-same wanderers by a group of beaming fans. In other respects, it was a black-and-white time, the national side playing for a fraction of the population only. Now, it was different. Duplessis's side won the series in glorious Technicolor to a pumping soundtrack, part house, part quieto, that lasted a month. It was a comprehensive win for a new country in a better time, a timely riposte to doomsdayers only too quick to proclaim Test Cricket's last rites. If you enjoyed this episode of The Luke Alfred Show, please give me a five-star rating. As an independent creator, this podcast is made possible through your support 